All right, so without any further delay, we want to go ahead and get started into our study. All right, so um, as much as you're able to, well, we're kind of stacked up here, so I'm going to kneel. You just go ahead and reverently bow your heads and let's get ourselves started in our study. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for the privilege and the opportunity to come together, to press together, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, that we can be workmen that need not be ashamed, for we have rightly divided your words of truth. We pray, Lord, that you will please bless us at this time and that you will first forgive us of our sins and that you will also cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you'll send your Holy Spirit, that he may come and teach us and help us to truly understand that right now history is being repeated we simply want to choose which side of history we shall repeat. So grant us wisdom and may you open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things out of your word. For we ask all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, our overall class is going to deal with the uh, topic of music and its role in last day events. Now, I'm going to let you know in advance, there is no way that we're going to be able to cover it all within these three seminars that we have. So while there's going to be deeper things that we're going to have to cover, you're going to find that it's going to require us to, number one, study to show ourselves approved. But also, I have some resources. So I, I want you all to make sure that this evening you visit me at uh, the booth that I'm going to be at because I have something very special that I want to give to each person who has come to our class as it relates to dealing with music, where we can go much, much, much deeper into many things that we're going to discuss at this time. But I believe we're going to get a good enough foundation through the things that we're going to study today to get us on the right track of knowing how we go further as it relates to understanding music and its role in last day events. Do you believe that this is a trivial topic? No, it's definitely not. This is something that is very large and therefore it requires very diligent study. Now, something we're going to cover in this class that I want us to repeat, and we're going to repeat it at the beginning of every class, is I want us to look at this quotation, which is from Life, Ske Life Sketches 196. And I'm going to ask if we can all repeat this together on the count of three. One, two, three. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And that's a promise. We have absolutely nothing to fear. Nothing. As long as we do not forget the way God has led us. And therefore, we're going to look a little bit at history because this study that we're going to go over right now is talking about history being repeated. And you're going to find that this becomes very relevant to you and I because there's many things we're going to need to look at to really find out Number one, is history being repeated? And then number two, if it is, which side of history am I repeating? So you're going to find that this is going to require a lot of heart searching. So I want you to pay very close attention to the things we're about to study. I want you to grab your swords and turn your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And you're going to find in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 9. And we're going to see what Solomon, the wise man, has to say to all of us. And I like this point that he makes here because you're going to find that it pertains even to history. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, if you're there, please let me know by saying amen. amen. All right. In Ecclesiastes 1, in verse 9, this is what it says. And I find this verse to be very interesting. 
This verse says, and I'm reading from a King James. It says, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is how many things? No new thing under the sun. So let's look at what Solomon just said. He said, the thing that hath been, that's the past, is that which shall be. That's what? Future. Then he says, and that which is done, that's present, is that which shall be done. That's what? Future. Future. And then he says, there is no new thing under the sun. And Solomon is kind of one of those guys that can honestly say, been there, done that. Would you agree? Solomon was one of those guys who had a lot of experiences that he can truly say, I can truly say under the authority of God that history has a tendency to repeat itself. There's nothing new under the sun. Things that have been is that which shall be. That which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. Now, the reason why this becomes important to you and I is because I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 now, we're going to go ahead and go a little further to see some points of history and then see if God has given us a clue as to whether some points in history will be repeated. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, if you're there, please let me know by saying amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, looking at verses just 1 to 4 very quickly, I want you to see this. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was who? That rock was Christ. So this is talking about what experience? What experience in the past is this talking about? This is the Exodus. This is when they're going through the Red Sea experience, right? All right, good. Now, What's interesting is as Paul is rehearsing what took place as the children of Israel left Egypt, and where were they on their way to? They were on their way to Canaan land or that promised land, right? So Paul is rehearsing what the children of Israel went through as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land. Now, that's far from what we read. It sounds like good news. You know, it's talking about how Christ was leading them and guiding them and so on as they were going through the Red Sea. But now notice how Paul transitions some thought processes to this point of history once we get into verse 5. It says in verse 5, but with many of them, what happened? God was not well pleased for they were overthrown where? In the wilderness. So while they were on their journey and as they were heading from Egypt on their way to Canaan land, The Bible says, unfortunately, they began to displease God, and it says they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, what were some of the things that took them over? Let's go ahead in verse 6 now, and let's take a look. It says in verse 6, now these things were our what? Examples. Very good. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also what? Lusted. So what was one of the things that overthrew them in the wilderness? It was obviously lusting. And look at what it says in verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So again, what was another issue that overtook them in the wilderness? Idolatry. Idolatry. Very good. Verse 8. It says, neither let us commit what? Fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. So what's another thing to add to the list? Fornication. Then verse 9. Neither let us do what? Tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed 
of serpents. Then verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So therefore, we're just taking a little bit of a snapshot at history. We're seeing that the children of Israel, back in the days as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land, while Christ was leading them, they unfortunately entered into an experience wherein God was now displeased with them. And we just saw this. They did everything from commit fornication. They were complaining and murmuring. They were tempting God. They were doing all sorts of things. They committed idolatry, and the list goes on. Now... Thus far, we just looked at history. But I want you to notice now verse 11. What does verse 11 say? Now, how many of these things? It says, all these things happen unto them. Who's the them? It's Israel. It says, now all these things happen unto them for what? For ensamples. And they are written for whose admonition? Upon our admonition, upon whom the what? ends of the world are come. Now, question. There's a very interesting word in verse 11 that I think you and I need to pay attention to. Because this is what verse 11 literally takes everything Paul just said and transition it from being past truth to to present truth. He says in verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for and samples. Now, what does the word and sample mean? We would say example, right? They were left there for an example. But wait a minute, look at verse 6. Didn't verse 6 use the word example? But if you look carefully at verse 11, it, uses, it doesn't use the word example. It uses the word and sample. It's a whole different word. What does that word mean? I mean, you know, for, you know I'm, I'm at Southern University. I'm sure there's got to be some theology majors here, some scholars or whatever. I mean, we would see if we look in the Greek at the word example in verse 6 and, and sample in verse 11, you would see two totally different words. Don't mean the same thing. So that means that the word and sample has to be something deeper than example. Now, if any of you have a good Bible with cross-references, you perhaps might see what the word ensample means right there by looking in your cross-reference. Does anybody have a cross-reference in their Bible that tells you what the word ensample means? What does it mean, my brother? Isn't that beautiful? My brother said the word types comes up. The word types is a Greek word, two poles. It means patterns. It's kind of like the same time when you read in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 8 where it talks about the sanctuary that was made and how it was made after the pattern of things that were in heaven. So therefore, when the Bible uses the word and sample, it's talking about types or patterns. So watch this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, starting from verses 1 to 4, about the children of Israel as they left Egypt and now were on their way to Canaan land. Then he starts to walk through all these different areas that the children of Israel fell. Then in verse 11, he says, now all of these things that happened were in samples, types, or patterns. Patterns for who? It says, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So that means that the people in the last days who named the name of Christ, 
who are God's people, who are God's church, that the experiences that the children of Israel went through as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land were like types or patterns of events that God's people in the last days are also going to experience. Ladies and gentlemen, that takes those quotations from Paul to no longer simply be past truth, but now it's very much present truth. It's something that affects us here in our day. Can you say amen to that? Now, with understanding this, this means we're going to have to go ahead a little deeper. Now, let's do some correlation. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we want to really put the nail in the coffin on this one. This whole study we're dealing with just for this section is going to be on history repeating itself. Exodus chapter 20. Let's watch this now. Exodus, the 20th chapter. And let's go ahead and look at verses 1 and 2. And let's look at what happened with Israel. And then let's see how we can experience that today. Where do we see the application thereof today? All right. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Why don't we read it together? The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So what does Egypt represent according to the text? It represents a house of bondage. Now, what would we understand bondage to represent today? Because remember, what they went through in times past is also an experience for you and I today. If they were in a house of bondage, a literal Egypt, the question is, what would bondage represent for you and I today? All right. So if we say the world or if we say sin, should we not have scripture to also support it? Yes, we should. Now let's go to John the eighth chapter. John chapter eight. We're going to constantly go back and forth to see how it applied to Israel of old. How does it apply to you and I today? Notice what the Bible says. John, the eighth chapter. We're going to go ahead and look at verses 32 to 34. John 8, 32 to 34. Notice. Now, the Bible says in John 8, 32, Jesus tells these wonderful words. He says, and you shall know the truth. And what's going to happen? Truth is going to make you free. Didn't say set you free. It says it's going to make you free. There's actually a difference between setting and making. Now, Christ says the truth makes people free. That's why when God raised up the church, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16, it tells us that the church was designed to be the pillar and ground of truth. The church was supposed to be a place that people in bondage could find freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, here goes Jesus talking to a whole bunch of Jewish people who took a lot of pride in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. So as Jesus is speaking to them and telling them, listen, you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make you free. I'm sure that he was hoping that somebody would have responded in joy and happiness. Yes, Lord, I I want to accept that truth and receive it in my heart. But instead, look at how they responded in verse 33. They said, it looks like they had the Laodicea disease as well. It says in verse 33, we, it says they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? Now, first of all, they were in bondage. They were under bondage under the Roman yoke. But nevertheless, because Rome did give them a little bit of autonomy, you know, let them run things as a government and so on, they figured, well, at the end of the day, we are children of Abraham and we are free. So, Jesus, what are you talking about? That's how they're kind of coming back at him. How are you going to talk about us being made free? We're already free. We're children of Abraham. But then Jesus had to clarify what he meant in verse 34. What does he say in verse 34? It says in verse 34... It says, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Whosoever committeth sin is the servant or bondman to sin. So therefore, do we have biblical proof that bondage can also be synonymous to sin? Yes, we do. The Bible says that if you are a servant, and actually another word for servant is bondman. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that could be pretty scary, couldn't it? So let us come back. Let us come back. So thus far we see the children of Israel, as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land, they were in a house of bondage, which was a literal Egypt. You and I, we were in bondage, and that bondage is none other than sin. So therefore, when we look at this context of the children of Israel being delivered and coming out of bondage, and therefore now we're looking at ourselves being delivered and coming out of bondage, the same way that God used a man, Moses, to deliver the people from the Egyptian bondage is the same way God is using the man, Christ Jesus, to deliver us from spiritual bondage, which is sin. Are we following? So, so far, we see a nice little correlation. Let's go on. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus 6, we confirm where the children of Israel were headed in their journey. They were delivered. They were made free from bondage. But they were going somewhere. The Bible spells it out in Exodus chapter 6. And you'll see that what we're doing is we're starting real fundamental because I believe with all of my heart, in fact, I know because inspiration told us, that while we're taking these fundamental steps, I guarantee you it's going to get higher. So I'm not worried about that. But what it is, is that even some of the fundamentals, many a times God's people do not know how to truly substantiate. We don't truly know how to provide evidence to say this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, and so on. And the reason why I know this is because I was one day reading a little book called Volume 5 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 707. And on page 707, it was under the chapter called Mysteries of the Bible. And it says on page 707, it says, There are many who profess to believe present truth who really do not know what they believe. And then the next sentence is what got me. She says in the next sentence, she says, They do not understand the evidences of their faith. So many a times what happens is we get so caught up in seven-day Adventist lingo that we talk a lot of seven-day Adventist jargon and a lot of seven-day Adventist language, but at the end of the day, we don't know how to pick up the Bible and back it up. And she says in that very same chapter, she says, when the time of trial shall come and we have to stand singly and alone and we are not able to provide proof for why we believe what we believe, she says many will be surprised of how confused are their ideas of what they thought constituted truth. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be honest with you. When the time of testing and trial shall come to you and I, and if we cannot truly know why we believe what we believe, it's a lot easier to yield to the powers that be. Because when somebody's threatening your life, when somebody takes your child out of your hand and says, listen, we will take your child from you unless you accept this mark. Brothers and sisters, there's very few people who know how to stand on the promises of God like that and say, I refuse to honor what you do. As messages to young people says, death before dishonor of God and his law is the Christian's motto. Is that your motto? The only way you and I could ever have a motto like that is first of all, we have to know the truth and then we have to let that truth have a real experience in our hearts. That's the only way we're going to stand in these last days. 
So therefore, when I give you these fundamental steps, I'm doing it because I'm not going to make the mistakes I've made in time past, which was to assume that God's people know what I'm talking about. Not doing that anymore. God has delivered me. So therefore, we're going step by step. Is that all right? So we're in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 6 now, notice what the Bible says. In Exodus 6 verse 4, the Bible tells us something wonderful. It says, And I have also established my covenant with them to give them what? The land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. So God made it clear that there was a goal on this journey from Egypt. As they left Egypt, they were now on a pilgrimage upon which they were going where? The land of Canaan. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 3 and let's look at what it says in verse 18. Exodus 3 and verse 8. Exodus 3 and verse 8. The Bible says in Exodus 3 and verse 8, God speaking now, he says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. God made it clear, I have a land. I'm preparing this for my people. There is a journey. There's a destination that I'm sending them to. Now, go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, let's come back. Let's come back to that. I don't want to bring up Genesis 3 yet. Let's go to Galatians 3 for now. Galatians 3. In Galatians chapter 3, I want you to see what the Bible says, and we're going to look at verse 29. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. Now, thus far... We've learned that God preserved the land of Canaan for the children of Israel, Abraham's seed. We also know that this was a pilgrimage process that the children of Israel were going through. So they were not settled there in where they were in the wilderness. They knew that that was a passing journey. That's why one of the most beautiful hymns that we have is hymn number 444 that says, I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger and I can tarry, I can tarry but a night. Now, here it is that we are pilgrims, and I want you to see how the Bible brings this thought out in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 29, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and what are you? Heirs, according to the promise. Now, when someone is an heir, do they receive what Abraham's children were supposed to receive? Yes, because they are an heir. So they are to inherit the things that God has promised to Abraham and his children. Now, one of the things God promised was that they were going to inherit this land. And what was it called? Canaan. Canaan. Beautiful. So now go to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, notice what the Bible says here. They were going to an earthly Canaan. But now I want you to see something. Genesis chapter 12, we're just going to look at verse 1, and we're going to see some things as it relates to what God gave as a promise to his people. In Genesis chapter 12, I like how the Bible puts this when we compare Genesis 12 with Hebrews 11. So we're going to go to Hebrews 11 after Genesis 12. This is sweet. In Genesis 12 and verse 1, what was one of these things that God promised unto Abraham and to his seed? The Bible says in Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto what? A land that I will show thee. Now, we know that as it relates to this earth, God wanted to take them to Canaan land, which was representative of a land flowing with milk and honey. 
This was the promised land. But now go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, because how does it apply to us? Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and we're looking at verses 13 to 16. Notice what the Bible says here now. In Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16, these all died. This is going through all the heroes of faith, but then eventually now there's a summarization. Look at what it says in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were what? strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So therefore, even though we know that they were also pilgrims passing through the wilderness, ultimately to get to another place on earth, the ultimate or height of the promise had nothing to do with the earth. Here it is that we're seeing that they actually realized that they were strangers and pilgrims, not just between land and land, but between this earth and another place in general. Now let's go on. Look at what it says. It says, verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. So even though there was an actual country that they came into the land of Canaan, they're desiring actually a better country. Look at how the Bible words it. It says, but now they desire a better country that is an heavenly. So therefore, we're not talking about an earthly Canaan anymore, but now we're talking about a heavenly Canaan. So the same way that for the children of Israel, as they left Egypt on their way to Canaan land, they were looking for a physical land that they were going to go to. Is that right? But we understand that the height of that promise upon which you and I can actually partake of is not to look for a better country simply here on this earth, but we're looking for a better country, yea, a heavenly country. Are you following? So therefore, there is a heavenly Canaan. So I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that there is a correlation between Israel of old and Israel today. That's the key that we're looking at right now. So now let's go to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, we find out something else about Israel that I think is very, very interesting. In Exodus 19... I want you to see something that God also showed. Exodus, the 19th chapter. And we're now going to go ahead and look at verses 5 and 6. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my promise, then ye shall be what? A peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is how God was establishing Israel as his denominated people. He literally said, I'm calling you out. I'm cutting you out of all the other nations in the world. And you are my established denominated people. Now, the reason why that's so powerful to me is go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, I think there's something else we're going to find out. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, God makes something clear about his people even in our day. 1 Peter, chapter 2, notice what the Bible says in verse 9. 
The same way God called them and cut them and carved them out as his denominated people. Here it is that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. While God looked at all of Christendom as those whom he was gathering together and calling out of darkness, I'm going to show you that there was something even higher and sweeter that God wanted to ultimately establish just like he did with Israel of old. We're going to go there in just a second. But God says that I've called another people to be a chosen people, a peculiar people, and holy nation unto me. Beautiful. Now, who would constitute Israel today? If somebody were to ask you, who would constitute Israel today? Does God have an Israel today? What would your answer be? How many say yes by the raise of hands? How many say no by the raise of hands? How many say, I have absolutely no idea? All right, good. So we got a good mixture of everybody. Now, is there a way that we can know if God has an Israel today? How would we know? Huh? The Bible? Is that what you said, the Bible? Okay. How would we go through the Bible to know if God has an Israel today? Like, you know, where would we go in the Bible to know that God has an Israel today? Is, you know, that's good that we say God has an Israel today. How would we know that? What is it that would help us to know that? Say again, brother. Okay, so my brother mentioned in Galatians 3, it talks about those who are Abraham's seed. Is that right? Okay, good. So therefore, one of the signs that we would have is in Galatians 3, where it talks about those who have Abraham's seed. Okay, is that, that's pretty good. Is there anything else that we can add to that? Yes. Okay, so my brother mentioned that Jesus talked about the children of Abraham are those who have faith and not just simply the blood in the veins. Anything else? Yes, my sister. Okay, that, that my sister talked about the judgment and how the judgment starts in the house of the Lord. So therefore, that would obviously have a connection, I guess, to God's people in the last days. Now, all of these answers are very good, but I'm going to go ahead and add to it. Is that all right? Let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13. I'm sorry, Romans 3. There was something very special that the children of Israel had. And it was one of the definite dividing marks of them as a denominated people. And you'll find that as we look at this, this will help us narrow it down. Because I'll be honest with you, God definitely has people everywhere. Can we say amen to that? All right, so we know that in Revelation 18, even those who are in the churches that constitute Babylon, God says, I got my people in there. And that's why he says, come out of her, my people. So God has people in several places. The same way God had people all throughout the earth through the ages. But here's the thing. Who is God's, does God have a denominated people today? We looked at the fact that God had a denominated people of old. Would God have a denominated people in the last days? Now, was Israel's mission to just simply focus on Israel? No. no, their mission was to strengthen each other as they go out and strengthen the world and witness to the world. Amen? Amen. So therefore, God should have a denominated people in the last days that's going to do the same thing. Strengthen each other that we might go out and do a great work to bring others into this same light, this same truth. Amen? Amen. How can we identify God's denominated Israel today? Because there's lots of people who have faith. 
that are in churches that constitute even Babylon. So are they God's denominated people? Can't say that, can we? How would we know? Romans 3. In Romans 3, there was something very special that God gave to Israel as his denominated people. Notice what the Bible says in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says in Romans 3, 1 and 2, what advantage then hath the Jew? So the focus is on who? The Jew. It says, or what profit is there of circumcision? Now, look at verse 2. Much every way. Chiefly because, or primarily, there's many reasons, but here's a chief reason. It says, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. One of the chief identifying marks that made Israel God's denominated people was that they had the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? What are the oracles of God? It is true. The word oracles deals with the sayings of God, the things that God has spoken. In many translations, it talks about even the laws of God. So therefore, the question is, if we were to try to identify God's denominated Israel today, we would need to look at where is there a denominated group that professes to follow the one and only true God who also has the oracles, the sayings, or the laws of God. Do you know anybody like that? You ever heard of any group like that? Is there a denominated group in these last days that's like that? Amen. You see, brothers and sisters, go carefully now. Let's notice what the Bible says in Exodus 20. Remember, in Exodus 20, 1 and 2, you already saw that. In Exodus 20, 1 and 2, remember, the oracles deals with things that God has said or spoken to his people. Well, you remember in Exodus 21 and 2, we just read it. It said, and God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he began to display many wonderful teachings as it relates to his holy law. Did God show us that in the last days that he would have a denominated group upon which they would also uphold his law? Yes, he did. Revelation chapter 12. Let's go to Revelation 12. This is simple stuff. Simple stuff. Kind of Adventism 101. Revelation chapter 12. Now in Revelation chapter 12, you know these texts very well. Revelation 12, 17, Revelation 14, 12. These are, these are, these are famous Seventh-day Adventist Bible verses. Is that right? You know Revelation 12, 17. What does it say? And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 14, 12, we also know that it says here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. So God is going to have a denominated people in the last days who will once again hold on to those wonderful oracles of God upon which they will be recognized as God's Israel, God's chosen of the last days, not so that we can gloat about it, but that we may understand who we are and the great work we are called to do. Now, notice, I want you to see this quote here. 
When we consider this, it says, enshrouded in the pillar of cloud, Christ was the leader of his people. This is from Upward Look, page 351. He gave them statutes and laws that by obedience to his requirements, they might be his denominated people. It says he bestowed upon them the bounties of heaven, but he expected them in turn to share their blessings with others. So remember, I told you, it's like when we get the bounties of heaven, God's expectation was that in turn we were to share the blessings. So it's not that we harbor in it. It's not that we gloat about it. It's not that we begin to think more of ourselves than we should and look at those poor souls who do not know what we know. What we were supposed to do is allow these wonderful truths upon which we can share the blessing with others who were less favored. So he deals with his chosen people today. In fact, it says here, and this is from testimonies to the church regarding the strengthening of our institutions and training centers. The third angel's message is to be proclaimed to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The entire world is to be warned. There are still many new fields to open. There are many cities to be worked. We stand before the world as God's denominated people. And it says, and we must do our appointed work. We are not to obey the principles of the world. We are not to conform to its customs. We are to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So therefore, we can see very clearly that God equates you and I to his Israel of today. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, we can look at that 1 Corinthians 10, 11 verse, and we can say that is definitely us. We can see that we are those peoples upon whom the ends of the world are come, that we were told we're going to repeat history. Now, I need to show you something that was so imperative. When Moses went up into the mount, and when Moses went up into the mount to receive instruction from God to bring blessings down from the mountain to the people, I wonder what happened to Israel of old that Israel today We'll repeat. Exodus 32. Exodus 32. In Exodus, the 32nd chapter, I will read verse 1. You read verse 2. I will read verse 3. And you read verse 4. And we will take this up to verse 19. Exodus 32. Verses 1 to 19. I will read verse 1. You read verse 2. And we'll take it onward. Are you ready, saints? Yes. The Bible says in Exodus 32, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Verse 19 together. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. It's interesting. The title of our subject is, History Repeats Itself. That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And brothers and sisters, Seventh-day Adventists, there really is no new thing under the sun. The issues that we are dealing with today in God's denominated church are the same old issues that God dealt with amongst his denominated people Israel. While Moses was in the mount, hoping and desiring to give blessings to Israel. Instead of coming down and finding a people who were, who were laying themselves on the ground, fasting, praying, pleading, Lord, prepare me for what I'm about to receive from the instruction of your servant coming down that mount, they were found having celebration worship. All these things happen unto them for in samples, patterns, types. It is not a wonder that in God's church today, while Christ is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, upon which he desires to come down with blessings to his people, yea, the blessing of eternal life, that Jesus, instead of finding a people praying, 
and pleading and crying out to God. Instead, they're enjoying pagan worship, even in God's sanctuary, even in God's house. You see, brothers and sisters, we are repeating history. Many Seventh-day Adventists today are doing just like Israel of old, repeating history. You know, the children of Israel, when they did their worship, when you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White says that the things that they learned in Egypt, she says they brought it in amongst the camp. And it was Egyptian worship that they were doing. And that's why they obviously said, give us a cab. And it's funny how you always find dancing mixed with the worship music. When I read in my Bible where it says the Lord is in his holy temple at all the earth, keep silence before him. Israel missed that point altogether. And you know what's funny? Look at verse 18 again. When you look at verse 18, I found this to be interesting. It says, and he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. It says, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. You know what I thought was interesting about that? The children of Israel were having worship, and part of their worship experience was that they were singing. Could it be that the same way Joshua, while they, as far as they were concerned, Israel, they were singing in worship, but brothers and sisters, Joshua said it was noise. Could it be that individuals could be singing their hearts out in churches today? But heaven says, it's noise. You know, when you look at that word in the Hebrew noise, it actually means, it's, it's a word called qual, qual. Um, it actually means someone that is yelling a loud, bleeding, or a crackling cry. These are the actual words that's used. Bleeding, like when sheep, when sheep go like that, that's bleeding, the bleeding of the sheep. Or it's like a crackling, noisome annoying cry. That's the actual words that's used. It's an annoying cry. Can you imagine that individuals can honestly and truly worship God today in song? But heaven says it's like the bleeding of sheep. It is like an annoying cry. And brothers and sisters, we would do well to understand this. And you know the reason why? Because just like Israel of old, notice, it was not the will of God that Israel should wander 40 years in the wilderness. He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan. This is from Spiritual Gifts, book four, page 292. It says he desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan. Do you know that it shouldn't have taken 40 years, but only about 40 days? The children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years for a trip that only should have taken about 40 days. It says... He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and establish them there, a holy, happy people. It says, but they could not enter in because of unbelief. It says, because of their backsliding and apostasy, they perished in the desert and others were raised up to enter the promised land. In like manner, now we're getting to our day. It says, in like manner, it says it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed. Brothers and sisters, do you really think Jesus wanted to take 167 years to finish the work in the most holy place? 
you really, I mean, the day of atonement was a 24 hour period. You think Jesus really wanted it to take 167 years? No, brothers and sisters. It says it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed and his people should remain so many years in the world of sin and sorrow. But unbelief separated them from God. We are like Israel of old. We are repeating history. It says, as they refused to do the work which he had appointed them, others were raised up to proclaim the message. In mercy to the world, Jesus delays his coming. In mercy, Jesus delays his coming that sinners may have an opportunity to hear the warning and find in him a shelter before the wrath of God shall be poured out. And brothers and sisters, that time is right upon us. We are right upon the time. We are right at the brink. We're soon and very soon, we're going to see a Sunday law passed right here in America. And when that Sunday law test comes to you and I, brothers and sisters, if our lives are not hid in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you for a fact, if our lives are not hid completely in Jesus, by the time that Sunday law test comes to us, brothers and sisters, if we fail that test, we failed. And you know what? Great Controversy 605 says that it is the final test. In other words, when that Sunday law test comes to you and I, and if we fail that test, there will be no rebounding. There will be no, oh Lord, my fault, and coming back to God, let me get the seal after all. Whoever receives the mark has the mark. Whoever receives the seal has the seal. And you get one or the other when the test comes. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, the only reason why Sunday law has not passed yet in America right now, you want to know the only reason why? Because God still has a whole bunch of idolatrous Israel that he's trying to reach our hearts. And he's saying, please stop fighting against me. Please surrender as we heard so wonderfully stated today. That's the mission that he's calling us to. But the problem is, as many of us are getting caught up into false worship which is bringing out a false experience. We're going to talk about that in our next session. I want you to look at this. Now, as in former ages, the presentation of a truth that reproves the errors and sins of the times will call forth a storm of opposition. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you right now, as we stand for truth, it will call forth a storm of opposition. When you honestly say, you see, I've learned something. The Pharisees never bothered Jesus until they saw how his message was affecting the people. In other words, if Jesus was just running his mouth, but nobody ever obeyed, nobody ever did anything, everybody just stayed comfortable in apostasy, the Pharisees would have just been like, man, he's just a wild boy. Hey, what's the point of paying attention? He, you know, whatever. But when Jesus spoke, people listened. When Jesus spoke, people embraced his truths. And when Jesus helped those individuals, those individuals not only were revived, they were reformed. They literally started going to choirs and started saying, you know what, as long as we sing like that, I cannot be on this choir anymore. They started to go around saying, you know what, uh, this form of music that we used to play on the Christian radio station, we can't play this music anymore. When the children would start saying, uh, mom and dad, you know, I know you enjoy this kind of music, but I have to be honest with you, I had a connection with Jesus, and that music that I once loved is now offensive to me. Once children and adults and youth, when everybody starts taking these type of stands, brothers and sisters, that's when it will call forth a storm of opposition. Because now the people are saying, wait a minute, you're disrupting status quo. You're messing around with the way we do things. And therefore, this is now an issue. We are told 
that it will call forth a storm of opposition. It says, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. John 3, 20. It says those who cannot sustain their position by the scriptures. You know, it's funny how we can talk. We talk a lot about music and we're going to hit some things on music today. But it's amazing how we can talk a lot about music. But when we when we when we present to the individuals who are for all the worldly secular music and all these things coming into the church, you tell them, pick up your Bible and show me any support that God gives on these things. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they can't find anything. They can't find anything to support why they do what they do. It's the same thing with youth programs and all these other things. You tell them, this youth program, though you may think it's good, it doesn't really help our young people to enter into a sanctifying effect with Jesus. So therefore, we say, we need to remove that. And we give them Bible, spirit of prophecy, Bible, spirit of prophecy. But then they say, oh, no, we can do it. And you say, do me a favor. Open up your Bible. Show me one verse to support why we should go ahead and do competitive sports with our young people. Show me one verse that says that we should go ahead and do these different, part, different activities and all these other things, and they can't show it. And you know what t- people typically do when they can't disprove things scripturally? Notice. It says those who cannot sustain their position by the scriptures are stubbornly determined that it shall be sustained at all hazards, and with a malicious spirit, they attack the character and motives of those who stand in defense of unpopular truth. That's what starts to happen. Spiritual Gifts, book four, page 292. That's exactly what starts to happen. When they can't sustain it by the word, they start saying, well, you know what? I I think this person is trying to cause division. They start to try to read the motive. Even Jesus said, look, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, Jesus, when he said that, he was not saying, I'm trying to destroy families. He's saying, I'm actually trying to restore families. But the only way families can be restored is when they get things in order. God first. And then the family. That's why in Matthew 10 and verse 37, Jesus says, if you love father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of me. Does Jesus want us to hate our parents? Heaven forbid. Jesus wants us to love our parents, but he says, but you got to love me first because there will be many a youth that will be lost while they were following mother and father on their way to the lake of fire. You know that song, I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. You know, if you look in your hymnal, you only have three verses. But do you know that in the original hymnal, there's six. You want to know what verse number four says? Father, mother, and sister, brother, if you will not journey with me, I must go. Now, since your vain hopes you will thus cherish, should I to linger and with you perish? I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry but a night. Can you imagine that? Young people that would even say, father, mother, sister, brother, if you will not journey with me, I must go. That's the kind of people Christ is developing. Not people who disrespect their parents. Not people who show a a, a partiality towards their brother and their sister. No, brothers and sisters. Jesus is trying to get people who put Christ first, last, and best in their lives. 
And so you'll find that individuals will try to oppose all these different things because we're standing for these unpopular truths. But these things need to be stood up for. And so it is that I'm going to close. And I want you to just consider this quote from Romans, the 13th chapter. We're going to take ourselves a break. And then we're going to come back and go into part two, how to utilize music in these last days. Romans, the 13th chapter. We're in Romans chapter 13. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. The Bible says in Romans 13 and verse 11, you see, now that we can see that Israel history is being repeated, we can see it. History is most definitely being repeated. We have to make a choice. Which side of history shall we repeat? Was all of Israel in apostasy worshiping the calf? Thank the Lord. No. You get to be part of that group. Was the majority of Israel worshiping the calf? Yes. You need to avoid that group. We are told that the great majority will forsake us. Volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 136. She says the majority will forsake us. We are told in Great Controversy 608, it will be a large class who will literally join ranks with Babylon and become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. It's going to be a large number, brothers and sisters. Oh, I wish I could change that prophecy. I'm serious. I wish I could. But I can't, and you can't either. The only thing you have control over is make sure your name is not part of that large class. You make sure that your name is not part of that majority. But brothers and sisters, you need to make sure which side of history am I going to repeat? Because you know what the thing is? Every single one of us are going to repeat one of two sides. You have no choice but to repeat one of the two sides. By God's grace, choose the right one. And so Romans 13 verse 11 says very clearly, It says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't repeat the negative side of history. And so in our next class, we're going to start taking a little bit of a closer look on the issue of music, how to utilize music. What role does it play in my life? What are some of the warning signs and counsels that God has given so that way I can know how to choose that which is right and cling to it and to shun and avoid that which is bad and to leave it alone? So with that being said, let us close with prayer. And I'm going to ask one question before we pray. Just by the simple raise of hands, how many of us are saying and determined in our hearts to say, Lord, by your grace and by your power, I want to repeat. I will repeat. Don't want to. Steps of Christ, page 48, says many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. Don't say I want to. You know what she says next? She says many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. She says, but they do not choose to be Christians. That's why I'm telling you, I love that message that we heard today. That message was right on the money. Brothers and sisters, how many of us are choosing today to say, Lord, I choose to repeat the positive side of history Though it might make me different, though it might make me look funny in front of others, I choose to repeat the positive side of history. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, dear God, for helping us to understand that history is being repeated. 
And Lord, you have shown us clear as day that we are your denominated Israel of these last days. And Lord, as Israel of old fell, even while Moses was in the mount, they got caught up in idolatrous worship, foul music, and ungodly dancing. Lord, I pray, please help us to realize that while Jesus is in that most holy place, seeking to finish the work in us, Lord, please help us to cooperate with you. Help us, Lord God, to repeat the positive side of history, to avoid the things, Lord God, that we already know in our heart is wrong. And may you give us the wherewithal, the love and the truth and all the things we would need that we will stick and be as Peter and say we ought to obey God rather than men. And Lord, I pray that as my dear brothers raise their hands, keep them in the commitments that they have made. Thank you that you are doing this. And that which you have begun, may you bring it to its completion. Is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.